This classic Encounters podcast is brought to you by Encounters North. To learn more about our podcast videos and projects and to support our work, please visit EncountersNorth.org. Hi, I'm Richard Nelson for Encounters, a program of observations, experiences, and reflections on the world around us. I've always been drawn to the powerful forces of nature. I love to see and feel the intensity of storm winds, the explosive noise of surf along the ocean coast, the force of crushing ice pack up in the Arctic being somehow enfolded into an enormous power that is outside of yourself. Well, tonight, I'm close to another kind of power. Well, close, I guess, is all relative. The sky above me is absolutely filled with a brilliant display of the aurora borealis. A sweeping curtain of light is sprawled across the sky from the northeast down toward the southwest. When you're in southeast Alaska, as I am tonight, it's most extraordinary to see a brilliant aurora off in the southern sky. And there's a great long patch of aurora that is arising out of the blackness of the sky right now. Long pulses, vertically striated light, a purplish tinge to that light moving up the sky. And kind of like a snake swallowing a rat, there's a bulge moving along this curtain of aurora and now the whole stretch of aurora is growing in intensity and brightness in the far sky it's a lime green color then the middle section deep purple color and then greenish again as it sweeps off toward the eastern sky this display of aurora is bright enough so it's illuminating all of the mountains toward the east of me. I can see the lower slopes of those mountains, dark timbered slopes, and then I can see the peaks and the high ridges all covered in snow, clearly showing on this absolutely moonless night in which the aurora is the only source of light. I'm on the ocean in my skiff, bouncing and bobbing around on the ocean off the coast of southeast Alaska. When I look Toward the east, there's the land. When I turn around and look off toward the west and the south, stretched down over the edge of the earth is the Pacific Ocean. There's a gentle swell running at intervals underneath the boat, a little bit of a breeze blowing, so the boat is rocking. And now this snake-like aurora, this is stretching now across the entire sky, becoming brighter and now twisting around into a swirl up over my head. One of those situations where the aurora is changing constantly, and yet if you look at it for a moment, you can't see that change, but then you look back a few seconds later and it has transmogrified into something that looks quite different. The beauty and magic and excitement of watching the aurora is one of the great things about living in Alaska. 
People, of course, have marveled at the aurora for many thousands of years, and they've found lots of different ways to explain it. For example, the Koyukon Indian people who live in the interior of Alaska along the Kayakuk and the Yukon rivers, their name for aurora is Yoyakoich. It means something like pulsing lights in the sky. There's a story from a very ancient time, a kind of story that's called in the Koyukon language, Kadons Edni. And it says that the northern lights came from the spirit of a man who lived in an ancient, mysterious, dreamlike world when the earth was being transformed toward the way it is today. This man was out hunting caribou and he broke his bow while he was shooting at the animals. The stories say that that man eventually burned up in a fire. And now today, when the aurora is flashing and trembling across the sky, as it is on this winter night, so bright that it illuminates the whole landscape, that's Yoyokoichdena, the northern lights man, shooting his arrows into the heavens. This is why strong northern lights in the fall are taken in Koyukon tradition to be a sign that caribou are going to be coming into Koyukon country during the following winter months. The aurora in the Koyukon way of seeing the world traditionally has its own spiritual power. In the past, some Koyukon shamans, medicine people, could draw from this power of the northern lights, along with that of their other helping spirits, to make medicine to heal sickness or to help people in their hunting. Ah, oh, the northern lights have risen up the sky so that bright, long curtain of light that was far off toward the southern horizon is now almost straight overhead. And it's bending in a great long crescent across the sky here. And up toward the north, there's a real strong red glow in the sky. You could imagine if it were summer up in the interior, you would think there was a forest fire on the other side of those mountains. In some Inuit traditions in the Arctic, the aurora is thought to be the spirits of people in the afterlife. And they're playing a game that's like soccer with the skull of a walrus, kicking that walrus skull around. And when the aurora make a hissing, crackling sound, it's the noise of the spirit players running on the snow up there in their celestial world. If people whistle at the aurora, it makes these spirits curious, and so they'll come down for a closer look at you. Now, there are other traditions that say, including some Athabascan traditions in Alaska, that you should not whistle at the aurora, that that's a dangerous thing to do because it can irritate the spirit of all that power up in the sky. And oh man, the northern sky is really turning bright now. Changed color, it's more of a grayish white with a very light blush of pink in it. The aurora in historic European traditions was also regarded as something of spirit and power, something to be concerned about or afraid of. In northern European communities, people saw the northern lights as the spirits of the dead. In Scandinavia, it was said that these were the souls of departed women cavorting in the heavens or cooking fish over campfires or running around a fire or carrying bright shields into battle. 
In southern European countries, people were terrified by the extremely rare sight of the aurora and considered it to be the wrath of an angry god. In earlier centuries in some European countries and among American colonists, there was more like that fear. They took powerful northern lights to mean the end of the world and thousands of people would flock to the churches and confess their sins to get things right before that end came along. The Alaskan geophysicist Neil Davis actually saw this happen in a West Virginia mining town back in 1941. He recalled hearing a neighbor woman confess sins that were quite shocking to him as a young boy after the northern lights ran amok in the skies down there. Well, the scientific explanations from the aurora are perhaps just as rich in imagination, but not quite as frightening. The ultimate source of the northern lights is the sun. The surface of the sun is a boiling, flaring mass that constantly throws off swarms of electrons and protons. These charged particles flow through space as something that's called the solar wind. Major outpourings of this solar wind are called solar storms or magnetic storms. When solar particles strike the Earth's outer atmosphere, two things happen. One, the particles are deflected by the Earth's magnetic field away from most of the planet and then focused near the poles. And secondly, swarms of charged particles collide with the Earth's gases, mostly the nitrogen and oxygen in the Earth's atmosphere, and this makes those particles glow. And that's what we're seeing overhead right now. The same process happens inside a neon light, it happens inside a television tube. In that case, captive particles are set to glowing. This happens constantly. It happens all through the day as well as through the night, but the glow is not bright enough to be visible in the daytime. It's just the same as stars. The northern lights don't have a lot of power to overcome competition. So when we have a black sky that's strewn with stars, as this one is tonight, it's the perfect stage for this performance of Yoya Koichtena, the Northern Lights Man. And right now, a little surge, a little ball of very, very intense brightness is rolling down along this curtain of light that has been hanging in the sky since we started. Northern Lights are like a halo that encircles the polar Earth. From space, and you may have seen satellite photos of this, the northern lights look like a glowing circle that hovers barely above the head of the world. It's not like a cap. It's more like a halo. So from the North Pole, the aurora would be always in the southern sky, as it is tonight, as the halo of the aurora has spread out so widely around the northern Earth that even here in southeastern Alaska, the edge of that halo is toward the south. Normally, it would be toward the north. Well, we do have part of it toward the north, too. There's quite a rage of aurora going on in that direction as I turn around the other way. In Alaska, the halo of aurora borealis is typically centered just south of the Arctic Circle. It's often directly overhead at Point Hope, at Bettles, at Fort Yukon. The main band of this halo continues then across Canada. It's overhead near Dawson, near Yellowknife, across southern Hudson Bay, and across Labrador. 
Fairbanks is about 150 miles south of the peak area, but it's close enough so it's still a great place to watch the aurora, as many Alaskans know. As the intensity of the northern lights increases, the band or the halo gets wider, as I mentioned, so the aurora can be high in the sky farther south, in Anchorage or down in Juneau. During major auroral outbreaks, these bands are visible in the lower 48 states. I saw them many times when I was growing up in Wisconsin. And just tonight, I was looking at some websites about the aurora, and I saw messages in there from people in Kentucky, in Nebraska, in Indiana, and Illinois saying, hey, there's this amazing thing going on in the sky. We've got northern lights here. And when this happens, it's an indication that we've really got a powerful aurora. A few years ago in central Texas, I saw a green fluorescent aurora barely above the northern horizons. I went back and I told some folks, I said, hey, you know what? There's an aurora up there, right there at the edge of the northern horizon. And they thought I was a complete nutball. Fortunately, the next morning there was an article in the newspaper that vindicated me. They, said, they thought these Alaskans didn't know what they were talking about or they brought their imagination south with them. But sure enough, one of those extremely rare auroral events that spread so powerful that it goes all the way to the south. When I lived up in the Arctic, in the Inupak village of Wainwright, up near Barrow, people would often travel at night by dog team, navigating by the lights of the aurora borealis. So bright in that world that's completely covered with snow that you could see for many hours during those long winter nights simply by that bright halo of the aurora. An ethereal glow like moonlight, a wonderful kind of light. At that latitude, about 72 degrees north, great sweeping bands of aurora always cross the sky in the same basically east-west direction. They're following the Earth's magnetic field and they're making it visible. And so the aurora is like an immense glowing compass needle that's hanging in the sky from horizon to horizon. Very early, and the time I spent up there in the Arctic, Inupiaq people taught me to use that aurora while I was traveling by dog team by myself oftentimes across that vast, featureless winter tundra and sea ice landscape. Now, as I look off toward the southeast and toward the northwest, now there's a great band of aurora, just like the one I was mentioning, stretching across the sky. And out there at the ends, way up north and way down toward the south, these long curtains of light appear to come right down onto the horizon. And sometimes the aurora will look like they're just a few hundred yards overhead. Actually, there's a very, very bright swirl of aurora just forming straight up above me now. And those long, sudden, searing lines of light coming straight down out of the sky. And as it gets brighter and brighter, it seems to come lower and lower and lower. And it's almost now, as I'm sitting out here on the ocean in my boat, it's almost like if I could just reach a little higher, I could touch those things. Well, it turns out, that this is an optical illusion, perhaps the greatest optical illusion of all. Scientists tell us that the lowest edge of the aurora is never less than 40 miles above the surface, and it's often no closer than 60 to 80 miles overhead. The auroral rays can extend from that level up several hundred miles high. This great altitude 
of these tall striations of aurora or these tall curtains of aurora is why people can see them from more than a thousand miles to the south because those things are standing up so high into the night sky. A single auroral curtain can also be up to a thousand miles long and stretching far into the distance then these bands seem as if they are bending down to touch the horizon, but that in fact is simply adding to the illusion that the aurora almost touches the earth. Oh my goodness, there is a band of aurora over my head right now that is enough to make you shout out loud. I haven't seen an aurora like this for many, many years and straight overhead now, the sky absolutely alive, whirling, searing, where in the world was I? Well, what causes the very powerful displays of northern lights that we occasionally see up here in the north? Charged particles are always boiling off the sun's surface, and this means that there's continuous aurora around the polar zones. It's there all the time. Day, night, summer, winter never stops. That halo is always there. It's just that we can't see it because of the competitive light that I mentioned earlier. Now, at intervals, there are immense arcing flares that erupt from the very bright sunspots that are scattered over the surface of the sun. When great sunspots erupt on the part of the sun that is facing directly toward the earth, that's when we get a storm of charged particles rushing toward our atmosphere. And the result is brilliant, wildly dancing, widespread, multicolored displays of aurora like the one that's going on tonight. Although sunlight takes only eight minutes to reach the earth from the sun, these swarms of solar particles, these solar storms or magnetic storms, take several days to get here. And this is why scientists monitoring the sun can give us predictions of high or moderate or low auroral activity. Those intense sunspot areas can persist for several months. Now, because of the sun's rotation, the same part of the sun will face toward the earth every 27 days. So when we have a spectacular northern lights display, there's a very good chance it's gonna happen again 27 days later. Sunspots also go through long-term cycles with peaks at about every 11 years. These peaks are when the northern lights are most likely to expand all the way down to the lower 48 states. The latest sunspot cycle was predicted to peak in 2003-2004. Another bonus that comes with spectacular northern lights, as we're seeing tonight, is color. The aurora is usually greenish-white color, but when there's a stronger electron storm plunging lower into the Earth's atmosphere, we get an extraordinary light show. The colors turn vibrant lime green, or during very powerful magnetic storms, the entire night sky can turn bright crimson. These are the very strongest auroras. And remember I was mentioning that crimson sky over the mountain peaks toward the north here. That has now faded away. But that blood red auroral sky, that means you've got the most powerful of all auroras going on. This is also when the aurora reaches 
closest to Earth. So we may be getting down tonight in that 40 miles above the Earth area. When's the best time to see the northern lights? The darkest season, of course, September all the way through midwinter into March. Clear, moonless nights are also ideal, like this one. Someplace away from town, that makes a big difference. That's why I went out in my boat tonight, to sit out here on the Pacific Ocean, to get away from the lights of town. Now, auroras also peak here in Alaska between about 9 p.m. and 3 a.m. So I should be at about the right time of night. It's just about midnight now. This happens because the magnetic north pole is off-center. And so the aurora's halo doesn't sit exactly over the top of the Earth. As a result, the Earth's rotation moves Alaska directly under the halo of the aurora in the middle of our nights. At noon, Alaska is farthest from the halo. And so the timing works out just perfectly for us. Northern lights are very temperamental. They can go from a dull glow to flaming brilliance within just a few minutes. And we're in that dull glow period right now. There's just a scattering of faint auroral clouds and patches and bands overhead at the moment. If you notice an increase in the rapidly zinging rays overhead, don't go back in the house to warm up. Stay out there and keep watching because stuff is about to happen. A big surge of the aurora like we had a little while ago, and we're probably gonna have one again soon, is called the auroral breakup. You see bright rays and curtains often swirling and contorting across the sky, tinged red at the lower edge. You're in good luck there. Usually, these auroral outbursts will reach a crescendo within about 15 minutes or less, and then they'll quickly fade back to that ordinary whitish glow that we've got going on right now. If this starts happening early in the evening, as it did tonight, there's a very good chance for more spectacular breakups that night. The ideal time then to bundle up and head for the hills away from the lights of town or hop in your boat and get out on the water. Some people think that strong northern lights correlate also with the coldest weather. There's no scientific evidence for that at all. But it just happens, of course, that the frigid midwinter weather that we get is also usually the clearest, and so that's the best time for seeing the light show. I remember once in the village of Ambler, up on the Kobuk River, northern Alaska, on a night that was about minus 40 degrees, and the aurora was absolutely phenomenal easily bright enough that if you had a book and had the inclination to stand out there in that frigid weather, you could have read that book easily simply by the light of that aurora. They might have found you frozen solid there come morning. Hey, now where did that word aurora come from? Scientists started using that word a long, long time ago, back in the early 1600s. The great astronomer, Galileo is sometimes credited for inventing that word. It's named after Aurora, the Roman goddess of dawn. In 1773, Captain James Cook, the great English navigator, was sailing in Antarctic waters, and he saw the southern lights, which he named the Aurora Australis. I remember one night in Tasmania, that island off the southern coast of Australia, and I was in the middle of a penguin and shearwater colony, and there I saw 
off toward the south in the direction of Antarctica, there was the unmistakable green glow of the aurora, an extremely rare sight. I saw it with some locals down there in Tasmania, but like the Texans, they did not believe that this could possibly be the aurora. And thank goodness there was an affirmation of the fact the next morning in the Hobart newspaper. A remarkable thing was discovered by scientists in the 1960s and 1970s. They made simultaneous flights to photograph auroras in the Arctic and the Antarctic at exactly the same moment. And they discovered an incredible thing, that the northern lights and the southern lights are exact mirror images of each other. Even the movements, the pulses, the whirls are simultaneous and identical. So when I look up here and I see a great curving, shimmering arch of the aurora, I have to imagine that exactly the same thing is happening at the other side of the Earth in the Antarctic. Except for one thing, in the northern hemisphere, auroras are consistently brighter because the magnetic field of the Earth is stronger in the north than it is in the far south. Well, scientists have also studied that persistent mystery about the aurora. Is it perfectly silent or does it make noise? I confess when it's gotten very, very bright tonight out here on the water, I've been listening hard thinking, come on, let's hear that auroral sound. They have systematically gathered, some scientists, hundreds of ear witness accounts, many of them by astronomers and weather observers and other very reliable sky watchers. And typically they say that it's an undulating hissing sound or swooshing or it's like burning grass or like a comb running through a woman's hair or a crackling sound like crumpling paper or frying grease. It's always very low volume and sometimes one observer will hear it and somebody who's standing right there with them doesn't hear a thing. The sounds usually correlate with the most brilliant displays during nights of high activity like this one. The experts are absolutely mystified by this. How in the world could sounds be simultaneous with outbursts of the northern lights when the aurora itself is at least 40 miles away? How does this happen? The sound has to be taking place near the ground where somebody can hear it, but nobody can understand how in the world this would be possible. Some experts, like Neil Davis, who I mentioned earlier, he's the author of a book called The Aurora Watcher's Handbook. And if you're interested in the aurora, that's a good one to look for. Some of these experts are convinced that the sounds are real, but they're yet another mystery. One of my most vivid memories of the aurora was when I was driving my dog team through a huge, wild, boreal forest country in spring near the village of Huslia on the Kayakuk River. I was traveling at night because during the springtime, the trails get so soft. You gotta travel during the nighttime when it falls down below freezing and the trails will harden up and get icy. It never really got dark, but around midnight, there was a dusky sky with a glowing amber sunset way off toward the north. I was immersed in the vast, encompassing peace of that northern land. A great silence all around me, broken only by the hissing of my sled, the rhythms of the dog's feet and their huffing breaths. And then, around one or two o'clock in the morning, the sky above the glowing amber of sunrise came alive with vibrant, shimmering, green and purple and vermilion aurora. 
and I sat there on the sled and watched this marvel of the world in these wonderful lights in the northern sky. It was one of the most beautiful moments I've ever had in the Alaskan wild, traveling alone with my dog team, the way people have experienced the aurora for so many thousands of years. And now here I am, 30 years later, sitting here on my boat in a chilly Alaskan winter night, looking up at a sky that is now absolutely flooded with twisting, shivering, flaring, writhing curtains of light. No matter how much we learn about the science of auroral light, it seems to always remain a deep and unfathomable, absolutely compelling mystery. And to tell you the truth, I, for one, am grateful for this because the greatest beauty of the aurora, I think, is that it remains somehow utterly beyond our grasp. I really hope there's always going to be somebody alive on this earth who looks at the aurora and sees spirit people kicking animal skulls across the sky, who sees Yoyakoichtana shooting his arrows at celestial caribou, or who falls to the ground in prayer at the sight of these awesome, silent, flaring lights. Every story seems to make the aurora glow more brightly, not just in my eyes, but somewhere deep inside my soul. For Encounters, I'm Richard Nelson. Thank you so much for your good company. I'll see you next time. Encounters is a production of KCAW in Sitka, Alaska. This program was written and narrated by Richard Nelson, edited by Ken Fate, produced by Lisa Bush. Theme music by Outback. Encounters is funded by the National Science Foundation and by the Kenneth Johnson Foundation, Alaska Conservation Foundation, Jerry Tone, Martha Wyckoff, Sue Cohn, the Skaggs Foundation, and the Scott A. Nathan Charitable Trust. For more information about the show, visit us online at EncountersNorth.org.